right. Welcome, everyone, to Bowers House Podcast, Episode 4. And today, my guest is a live streamer and a content creator on the rise. She's been nominated for two Game Her Awards. And if that's not enough for you, she's inspiring young female gamers to get on the mic while playing their favorite game. So, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Super excited to be here. Thank you so much. So right off the bat, I want to congratulate you on that esports.gg article. How exciting was that? It was super exciting. Um, I'm still kind of reeling over it, honestly, and it happened back in October. Um, but every time I like think about it or somebody in chat like uses that command, it's honestly like, I don't know, super humbling and amazing in a way. Um, I, I just love it. I think it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Uh, and I'm super excited that people even wanted to read about me or uh, learn about my community at all. It was a great uh, like covering of your community and you as a person. It was like a, an awesome read. And it was perfect before this interview. I'm like, oh, this is a great background <laughs> for your whole story. So, Right? Yeah. Pre-interview interview? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he did a great job, uh, Maastricht, he did a great job uh, with, with all the research, and he even came to a couple of streams and hung out with us for a while just to learn about my community even more, and uh, I think the really cool thing about my community is how open we are, and learning about mental health and learning about um, how we go through life together just as a community is super important to me, and for other people to like come in and get a glimpse of that is so cool, even if it's just for you know, a couple of weeks while they're learning about me for an article. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love your setup, by the way. Your background <laughs> is like perfect. Like I, I really need something <laughs> like that, like the LEDs and everything. It's so great. Thank you. Yeah, it's just a bookshelf from Overstock. I have my new GPU just sitting on a shelf, which is lovely. Um, I need to get it in an actual setup. But yeah, I have my sponsors and some old, one of my favorite games or all of my favorite games, I guess, down there. And it's my favorite. I still need a, I think I'm going to put a bunch of posters behind there of my favorite games too. So we'll see. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, GPU is that? It is a uh, 3070 um, FTW 3 Ultra. So. Wow. I am jealous because right now yeah. it is not easy to get your hands on a graphics card. So. No, it is not. And it's been sitting there for like a month now because I haven't bought the rest of my setup. <laughs> so uh, it's not great. I do. Uh, I don't have like the PSU that can support that back currently. And I have a really small case. I have like a mini case kind of. And that GPU is huge. So uh, yeah. I can't fit it in my current setup. And I'm very sad about it. <laughs> Oh, man. It's almost like taunting you there. It's just sitting there just waiting to be just installed. So. <laughs> yes, I know. I need to I need to actually build it. It's very bad. I'm waiting for the Leon Lee cases to be back in stock. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. That's great. So I'm curious what your first memory of video games is. Oh, wow. Um, so I started on the original NES. Um, that my dad gave me when I was really little. Um, so I think it's probably Mega Man on NES. That was like the first game I actually played. And then I played Super Mario Brothers with my dad um, together. And that was super cool. So it's probably NES, Mega Man. Um, and then I had this little like handheld, I don't know if you count that, but like handheld Tetris game that I used to carry around in the car all the time. But back in the day, we didn't have like a lot of like Game Boy available things. So... <laughs> That was it, yeah. And it's funny because I did notice that Mega Man was one of your favorite games, the one for NES. And mm -hmm. I was curious if you played like Mega Man X for Super NES. I did not. I didn't actually engage with Super NES at all. Somehow I missed oh, wow. that entire thing. Yeah, I don't know. Um, no, Mega Man just has like a really, I don't know, nostalgic feel to me. And I like going back and playing it every once in a while. Um, and it just reminds me, I don't know, just like, yeah, how I started in gaming, which is kind of cool to be able to go back and play a game and have that entire feeling and thought process over again. Definitely. The game that hooked me, I guess. The thing that brought me in. And would you say uh, you credit your dad for being the one to get you uh, into video games? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, he he definitely, even though he doesn't play now and he has like no idea really like what games are even out there, he thinks they're cool and he'll like watch them, but he doesn't really understand like how advanced they've gotten. 
Um, and his favorite game, I think, is like probably Pac-Man. Uh, or he, I mean, he was playing, you know, Pong. He was playing like Atari. Uh, and so like Pac-Man is his favorite game. And I think he just grew up on arcade games and just really kind of stayed in that realm. Um, but yeah, he was the first one to give me NES. He was the first one to get me like a Game Boy or even like, you know, go to Blockbuster and rent games for consoles back in the day. So yeah, I think so. Blockbuster is the reason why I even like discovered certain games. Like, <laughs> oh man, I, I just miss that so much. Just walking into a video store and seeing a game you're interested in and just giving it a shot for a week. Right? It's it's crazy. I, I miss Blockbuster so much, actually. <laughs> it was so nice to be able to just like go hang out with other gamers for a couple minutes too. I don't know. Right? It's funny. Yeah. And I would always be so disappointed when they like a game that they had was like out that they didn't have like somebody else had it or something mm -hmm. like that. So that was like the struggles of Blockbuster. Yeah, you had to wait like two or three days for someone else to finish the game and then they bring it back and then they'd call you and you're like, I have to go to Blockbuster right now. <laughs> I I'd get lucky sometimes because like when I was getting like a different game as like a backup one, I noticed that someone had just returned the one I wanted. So I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. perfect. Give me that one. So yes. I would get like a stroke of luck there. So that was I good. totally remember that. And that's like how I found a lot of weird random games too, is like backup games where I was like, well, fine, if I can't play that one, I guess I'll just get this one. And I have like really weird games that float in the background for me that are just like kind of fun and random and everybody. It's like those shows that you grew up with, but no one knows what you're talking about. They're just like weird games that people are like, what is that? And you're like, don't worry about it. <laughs> What's like it's one fine. obscure game that that comes to mind? Um, there's actually two. One is Ape Escape, which I've talked about Ooh, before. Yeah. Um, and people know that one, I think, but it's like not super common. I don't know. I was just obsessed with it and played it way too much. Um, and then the other one is 40 Winks. <laughs> I know like, that one. Okay. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, yeah, I loved that game and I thought it was like, it's kind of like one of those fringe, like indie kind of intro horror games. It's like going into the dreams of like your subconscious. Um, but I just loved the art style for that game was super cool for like what it was for the time. And um, I don't know, the concept was just so different from anything else that was out there. So I those think the two box really art had like, like, it looks like someone who's like sneaking out of their room, I believe. Yeah, with like a candle or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was obsessed with that game and I thought it was great. I miss box art like that. I know, I know. I miss. I I keep. That's why part of why I keep all of my games, uh, or like my physical copies, or even still order physical copies today, is because I love box art. Um, I am a designer full time, and so I have a real love for art and like creators that actually like artists that do box art or comics or any other uh, really hard, even even uh, Twitch sub badges and stuff like that, illustrations, it's just, uh, it blows me away sometimes. So I have a real love for that stuff and I try to keep it around. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you, you definitely want to preserve stuff like that, especially if it's going to have value someday, like those old school games that people hang on to. So. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think about it. I mean, I kept all my stuff because I was playing it, but like I have, you know, original copies of like Zelda on my Game Boy or... Uh, yeah, like, yeah, just Super Mario Brothers on NES, all of that stuff is crazy. The fact that I, like, kept it and had no idea that that's what I was doing when I was little, but <laughs> it's very cool that I have, like, my entire lineage of, like, all of my consoles and all of my games. That's great. I I've talked about this on prior episodes, but my brothers and I just, like, would give away our games. We would trade them in, and oh. and now we just, we are wondering why the hell we did that like it, it was it was just to like get a discount on the gamecube when that was like hot and yeah but man we we had so many classic games that are just in somebody else's hands but what are you gonna do right <laughs> right i think there's also like value in that i remember doing that also i have so many games back there that are like you know uh used or like per repurchased from gamestop or whatever but i don't know if it to me it's like in a way you were just like sharing a game that you like overplayed or loved a lot. And you're just like, you know what? Time to let it go. Somebody else can go play it now. And you just like, I don't know, weirdly at peace with playing a new game. It's kind of funny. That's how I like, I retired games too. I was just like, you know what? Like time to get rid of it. Move on. <laughs> but right. I'll, I'll actually go back and buy games now. <laughs> like I, I rebought Spyro when they remastered it, but I oh, also nice. went back to try and to find like an original copy because it was like, oh, it's just nostalgic for me to have around. So that 
That was a, a pretty nostalgic remaster. That, the Crash mm-hmm. Bandicoot one, it, this seems like a really common thing. They're just remastering everything. <laughs> yeah, and I'm totally okay with it. I think there's so much out there right now, and a lot of it feels very similar. Uh, everything that's like coming out is so advanced and has a similar art style that like going backwards almost for a lot of the newer generation of gamers is something that's like really appealing to them. And I think that's really cool. They can go explore all the games that we talk about constantly. And they're like, what is that? Um, And even though it might seem really lame compared to what they have now, like that's the stuff we grew up on. Like I played Spyro every day for, you know, months (laughs) and trying to like get that little like skateboard scene right where I was like catching everything, getting like, I don't know. I just love that stuff. So I'm glad that they're remastering that stuff. And I mean, damn, I'll play it every time. So I don't care. (laughs) I feel like kids that are experiencing games today, it gives them a shot at like a modernized version of what we experienced. Because I feel like if they played the original with like the original graphics, they'd be like, oh, this is so freaking lame. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's definitely a good opportunity. It's hard for me to even go back and play games that are, like, on older graphics systems, too, because you're just like, man, this is, like, really hard to play. But there is, like, a a nostalgia and a feeling to it. And I think even my nephews, like, now they play on a Switch. um, That was, like, their first console. And I'm like, damn, like, how the fuck is a Switch, like, your first console? Like, I have, like, 50 consoles behind that. And you're just, like, (laughs) starting on a Switch. And it blows my mind. Right. Um, But I don't know. They're just a lot more... I think they're a lot more, like, collaborative in their gaming in a way. Like, they they build Minecraft worlds together. They, uh, you know, they'll set up um, just Mario worlds together. They'll hang out and invite me on my Switch to come hang out in their world all the time. It's just funny because, like, I couldn't do that when I was younger. I was, like, either playing alone or I had a friend physically over and we're, like, racing Mario Kart together. Um, But now it's just, like, sending, like, I'm going, I'm visiting their... um, their village for Animal Crossing, or it's just crazy. Like I'm virtually visiting them all the time. Yeah, they have a lot more opportunities for like social gaming. Yeah. Like uh, for us, we had to just do it all locally, like just plug in like N64 controllers or whatever mm-hmm. and just gather around a living room TV. But for them, they just have so much access to just having a bunch of friends all at once from any corner of the world so I think that's so cool totally and I had like I remember my cousin and I would like fight over games all the time because we'd have a lot of one-player games and so like I'd play a level and then we'd wipe it and then they'd go back and play the same level and we'd sit there with each other and like watch it it was like really old school twitch or something where we're like watching each other play games because we just both wanted to finish the the same uh game at the same time we're waiting <laughs> for it but we did that a lot with pikmin or resident evil and it oh, i just have a lot of memories of like having to turn your cha- your tv channel to like channel three <laughs> get the right, right? like input <laughs> exactly I-, I have so many memories of watching like my uncles cousins brothers playing resident evil and just me this little mm-hmm. kid just watching them and just terrified just like, like oh no <laughs> That was, I guess you could say, is like my first like Twitch-like experience of watching someone else play mm-hmm. a game. And uh, yeah, it still creeps me out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that game, Resident Evil in particular, I'm not good with horror games in general, but like Resident Evil has this like way with me to like get under, I don't know, just like that weird creep factor that I have. Like I've played Outlast and I played the new Resident Evil, but like when those games first came out, I was genuinely like, this cannot be a genre. Like, this can't be a thing. <laughs> like, this is unacceptable for me. I cannot handle it. Um, I, yeah, up until then, like, I think Wolfenstein or, like, uh, I don't even know what else is out there. But, like, horror games were just, like, not, like, Resident Evil blew that up. And I remember being like, this is too scary. Like, this is too scary. There's no way. And now we're in, like, fucking VR Resident Evil. Like, Oh, man. That, that's a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah, I refuse. Like, I'll, I'll cry. I really will cry. I'll fall on the ground and cry. There's no way. The earlier Resident Evils were really the scariest, in my opinion, with the exception of Seven. Seven really, like, went back to, like, the horror roots of Resident Evil, the jump scares, the hearing mm-hmm. creaks on the floor, all that kind of stuff. But, but then they kind of drifted with, like, action-y type of stuff. I feel like yeah. Village is a little on the action side, it which is, is cool, yes. too. But 
Yeah, yeah, I liked Village a lot, and I, I'm i really bad with jump scares, so I'm okay if there's, like, not a lot of jump scares. But um, I think Village in general, like, it's not their scariest, like, villains. It's not their scariest uh, artwork or, like, craziest stuff. But, yeah, I think they needed that. I think they needed the, like, weird adventure aspect of, like, more fighting and more looting and more, I don't know. But I'm glad they did it, and it, it was a really cool storyline, and I still dig it. I still dig the series. Yeah, it's so good. And uh, I was curious, did the article expand on the type of uh, awards that you were nominated for? Yeah, um, I, I actually don't remember if they said it. Yeah, uh, because uh, I think it said, all right, you were nominated for two different Game Her Awards, but mm-hmm. I don't think it was specific exactly like, yeah, as to which ones. It was Top Content Creator of the Year, um, which I, I think is a stretch. <laughs> But, uh, and also Rising Star, which is, like, the content creation version of, of that, but just, like, an up-and-comer, which I think was a lot more fitting for me and my community. But I'll say this with your content. You put out a lot of positive vibes with your content, especially <laughs> trying to squash out the toxicity in, in the gaming community. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you say positive, because I don't always get that feedback, I guess, but... um. Yeah, I try really hard. I've always kind of had that, I don't know, just like feeling that like, if we're gonna be toxic, like, fine, call me dog shit in a game. Fine. Tell me I can't aim. Whatever. Fine. Um, But you don't need to bring sexism, racism, uh, general like hate speech or harassment into it. There's a level that we can have fun and still give each other shit and banter where you don't have to cross a line. Um, And I think that a lot of younger girls especially um, are growing up in a world today where most games are online, most games are multiplayer, and they are struggling to communicate, struggling to get comms, struggling to, uh, I don't know, just like stay play a game how they want to play it. And that sucks. I think that um, a lot of girls need to just like have that reminder that they can talk, they can say what they need to say, they can give comms and ignore them, they can do whatever they need to do, and it's okay to have that place and just exist. Um, and that's what a lot of my content revolves around. That's not just for women. It's just anybody that's struggling with any of that, uh, minorities or groups of people that feel like they're just marginalized by gaming. It sucks. Um, it's not just for men and it's not just for, uh, specific types of people. Um, gamers have, you know, been a super diverse population, I think for a really long time. We just didn't know that because nobody was talking. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And do you recall the first time you experienced like some form of toxicity oh man uh i mean i've been i've been a cod kid since the very beginning so uh really just probably cod would be that or even weirdly command and conquer um back in the day too uh that community was like weird online (laughs) um but i think cod was probably the first like real like sexist like that's the first time I heard, like, get back in the kitchen or, like, oh gosh. Um, yeah, just, like, this. you shouldn't be on here. Like, where's your, who's, who, what brother taught you how to play? Like, where's your mm. boyfriend? Like, all that stuff. Like, you couldn't possibly just like games as a girl. That's not a thing. Um, so I think it was definitely Call of Duty. And it, uh, I don't know, it gave me a thick skin in a way. And I, I am grateful for it. But it also just, like, gave me this light that, like, I'm never going to sit in a game and hear that shit and not call somebody on it. I I feel like my first experience of it, like hearing something toxic was the original Xbox and getting Xbox Live for the first time. And I'm like, oh, this seems interesting. Comes with a headset and everything and pop the headset on, put a like Mortal Kombat on. And next thing I know, this guy is just saying the worst stuff to me. And I'm just like this middle schooler, like, geez. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. And that's. You know, that's the world that my nephews are growing up in when, like, they're, like, you know, my sister doesn't want them to play multiplayer games because of that toxicity. And I'm just like, you know, like, it's going to happen anyway, and that sucks, and that's crazy. But learning how to, like, deal with it is still beneficial in a way, and then you have more people that are willing to stand up against it, and that's how it goes away. Um, Yeah, I just, I don't know. The the COD thing, it also gave me some of my best friends in the world. I had... um, one of my best friends, Kaylee, uh, she's a fellow streamer. I met her in a, a Black Ops lobby, like, forever ago. And we were uh, on Xbox Live just playing. We are the only two girls in the lobby. And somebody started, like, talking shit to her. And I was like, you know what? No. Like, you. And we 
partnered up, duoed forever after that. And I met like some of my best friends for over 10 years now, just in Call of Duty lobbies that spoke up and they like defended me or they had my back. And like now we're close friends. And that's crazy that you can like meet your best friends through a random lobby where they were like, shut up. <laughs> and, like that's how you <laughs> met. <laughs> so weird i don't know but I, I i i think there's benefits to it and i definitely think that the more that people speak out about it um the more we can kind of squash that shit and get back to a place where it's truly fun to just genuinely compete and banter back and forth without bringing a bunch of unnecessary crap into it yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a combo of the anonymity of being online and also just like the pride aspect of like if someone's not good on your team to just bash them and Right. It's just, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think that dynamic is also kind of funny. I've talked about gatekeeping in gaming a lot, too, where, like, you have this older generation of, like, people like me that grew up with the, with the franchise all the way from the beginning, and they've played every game, and they've, uh, you know, learned every secret, they've mastered whatever, and they get in these lobbies, and they're just like, oh my god, you're dog shit, like, why are you even on this game, blah, 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 and you're just like... They're fucking 12, Greg. Like, what are they going to do? Like, they just got this game. They just got a console this year. Like, they don't have 20 years of history in this shit. Like, they couldn't do anything else. Like, give them a break. Teach them some shit. Like, that's how it used to be, right? Like, you, you Xbox Live again. Like, I remember Xbox Live used to be a lot more, like, I don't know, like, active than it is now. Like, I still get messages on Xbox Live. But, like, if you were really good at COD on Xbox Live, like... People were like on your ass to like play mm. with you, or like even if you were dog shit in the game, people were like messaging you all the time that you're dog shit. But I don't know. It's just like a lot more like teach me things, or like take me under your wing, or like be in my squad, be in my you know, be in my clan, do this. And it, I don't know. Now it's just like a lot of judgment or ego based stuff, which drives me nuts. And I think it's crazy that streamers or like even other like esports commentators or public figures are commenting on like this game sucks this game's the worst game of all time and i'm like dude there's like 10 year old kids that like that's their favorite game of all time but now you just said that and they like don't want to play it ever again and like we didn't have that problem we didn't have a bunch of people coming down on us and being like you can't play this, this is stupid this is the worst game ever uh we just got kind of left alone and that's why we have like a bunch of random games in our history that um we can just like look back on and have really fond memories of even if it's a stupid game that we're just like oh i don't know how i put that many hours into that but we didn't have all these like people blowing up on twitter telling everybody that you know they need to not play this or not do this or play a certain way like just let people play games how they want to play and stop judging everybody all the time it's just it's fine it doesn't matter <laughs> seriously if you want to play 40 winks don't don't right. let anybody else's opinion sway you yeah, I think so. I'm going to be a 40 Winks exclusive streamer now. That's it. That's all I play now. <laughs> exactly. We need to bring it. some awareness to this classic <laughs> game right here. Mm -hmm. But looking back to, I would say, the combo of toxicity and fun for me in a game was with Modern Warfare 2. That one was just, oh my gosh. And, and yeah. I think people would be toxic in that just purely out of frustration with camping and the bad spawns and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. Like, I hear Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3 always named as, like, the peak of COD or the peak of, like, oh, you wouldn't last in Modern Warfare 2 lobbies. You wouldn't last <laughs> against me in this. Like, that's, like, the comeback now. I'm like, dude, I, I was also in those lobbies. Like, it was crazy. Like, we were absurd. Like, everybody was just, like, screaming shit. That was, like, peak, like, blowing in your microphone and everyone just screaming at the same time and, like, trying to, like, say all this shit at once. And it was just insane. And I I still do miss it. I reminisce about it. I love it. I think it's hilarious. But I also think people use that as, like, a weird badge of honor. Like, oh, I went through Modern Warfare 2 lobbies. It's like, cool, dude. Like, a lot yeah. of us did. Like, a lot of us were there. And it was, like... A weirdly unacceptable but widely accepted thing that we all kind of had a universal experience that was like really bad kind of. Exactly. It's like they, they just assume you didn't go through any of this. It's like, come on. Are you kidding me? All the time. I get, I, I've gotten comments that I'm like, oh, just a, a new age e-girl. I'm like 18. I'm like, sir, I am 30. <laughs> I have been playing games for my entire life. I have an unacceptable amount of hours in certain games. Like, it's... I, I almost have to wear, like, I joke about my, my game card. Like, I have to wear, like, my game card on my 
on my shirt and just be like, here's all the games I played and completed and how many hours I have in COD to prove that I play games. And like, <laughs> it's almost I'm, like you need a big sign above yeah. you. I survived the modern warfare yeah, right. two lobbies. Like I, I promise not only survived <laughs> it, but I probably punched you in there too. And I probably ran your ass in there too. Like it, uh, the fact that people think that like, just because you like look a certain way or you stream a certain game now, like I know streamers that stream exclusively like Animal Crossing now where they were some of the most like toxic, amazing COD players I've ever played with in my life, but they're like a cozy Animal Crossing streamer. And I love that. I'm just like, dude, I have seen you shit on people and be like one of the top COD players, but you sit in your corner and be cozy. I love that for you. But it's just funny to me how people just like judge that outright. Right. Yeah. They, they got to get in touch with their sensitive side sometimes mm -hmm. and just play some Animal Crossing. Right. So. Just hang out. I do that. I, I go after a hard day at work. I play Animal Crossing or Minecraft or Stardew Valley or yeah, any like cozy game. I play this like random, um, random, I don't even know how to describe it. It's I guess a survival game. Um, Northgard. <laughs> It's oh, kind of okay. like a strategy survival game. I love it. It's just like a random little like shooter game. Um, but I, yeah, I have a lot of those like little games that I can kind of like mindlessly check out and go play after like a hard day and not have to think about anything. And I think that's really valuable. Pokemon too. I play Pokemon all the time. That's awesome. Still. Yeah. All those games are definitely like comfort games. And it's funny, speaking of Animal Crossing, that is that is such a pandemic game, New Horizons. That mm -hmm. one just blew up i mean a lot of people expected it to blow up because of the success of the series in general but the fact that they released it during the pandemic oh my gosh like everybody jumped on that bandwagon i mean yeah that was like either it was really good marketing and they pushed it out early i don't know if that was like you know like ever even planned because we didn't know the pandemic was happening but damn they caught me with that shit i mean i was on animal crossing at work for an unacceptable amount of time. And I had coworkers also at that job visiting my island during work hours and being like, don't tell anybody it's fine. I'm here. I'm just dropping this off. Like, we're just here. It's fine. Like, my coworkers and I were, like, conspiring to just, like, not tell our boss that we're, like, on Animal Crossing for, like, nine hours a day trying to visit each other and, like, do this shit between meetings. Like, that's insane that it, like, got to that level that corporate America is, like, buying Switches just to play animal crossing <laughs> plot, plot twist your boss was in your island too, right. just sneaking yeah. around picking probably. fruit <laughs> yeah he probably was he probably was he totally would would do that i think that's hilarious it's funny too because um speaking of the pandemic your resurgence into streaming happened during the pandemic it did yeah um i originally started my channel i think in like 2014 um and mainly streamed Destiny and COD and uh, Outlast, weirdly. Uh, <laughs> and I left because I graduated college and I started my career and just like didn't have time for streaming. And um, I missed it the entire time that I was gone and really missed my community um, and really missed just like the general interaction. I wasn't gaming as much at all. And so I just missed like hopping online, running games, and, like, those Black Ops 2, like, we had a full squad days. I, I missed that so much. And then when the pandemic happened, I was stuck at home. I had nothing else to do. And I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm going to buy a PC and start back up because I streamed from an Xbox on, like, a shitty TV stand with a folding chair um, from my college room. Uh, and I – it was, like, the worst, jankiest setup ever. It was so scuffed, and I, like, went down every – 10 minutes and like uh I, I don't even know how people like followed me back then but now building a pc and like doing this a second time it does really feel i don't know like home a little bit really comforting super nice and like rebuilding a whole new community and i've even had regulars from back in the day come back which is nuts because i was gone for like five years <laughs> uh and they came back and they were like holy shit like you're alive again and i'm like holy shit you're still here like that's crazy. I had a kid that used to be in my streams all the time named Chris, and he would watch my stream with his mom because it was an 18 plus stream. He would watch my stream with his mom and him and his mom became fans. And he is 19 now. Wow. And he's like going to college. And I'm like, that I like, that's insane that you're like back in here. And he's like, Hey, what's up? Like I used to, I'm this name. I used to watch you all the time. And I'm like, what? Like, how's your mom? 
<laughs> it's crazy. That's oh. amazing. It, it's what amazes me is going on a hiatus and those same people from your original run are still there showing support. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, like a that's lot, a beautiful thing. A lot of my old squad, uh, when I came back, they're modded in my stream. We were playing again, just like old days. Uh, I had a lot of regulars come back and I had even a few like older mods that I'd like completely just forgotten that they were mods and they come back and I'm like, why does your name look so familiar? And they're like, I'm modded for you like five years ago. I'm like, fuck. Oh my God. Hi. And they're like, what's up? It's so crazy to me. Like I, I, it's, I don't know. Yeah. It just feels like going home in a way. So in your first run with streaming, you got 700 followers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something around there, like seven, 800. That's so good. Like, are like, is there anything you're doing differently now versus then? Oh, as so far much. As streaming? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so much. I mean, aside from like the scuffed stuff that I fixed, my quality is much better. Um, I definitely take it more seriously. I take it more like it's it's for fun and it's for building a community first, but it is also somewhat a job. There's you know content creation that goes into it. There's planning streams. There's planning events and and figuring out how you want your streams to go or what you even want to stream. Um, you know, I, I came back and I thought I would be a COD exclusive streamer. I thought like, oh, I'll just play COD. Like, that's what I know. That's what I'm good at. I'll just do that. I have played so much shit <laughs> since coming back. I have played COD, Battlefield, Halo, Outlast 2, uh, what else? Uh, Among Us, when that was big, Fall Guys, uh, fucking... Resident Evil, uh, just crazy amounts of like random stuff, Assassin's Creed. And the fact that I get to like explore games as a variety streamer now and have people like still there from back in my COD days and they don't care what I play because they're just like here for the community. That's crazy. That is like the best thing that a streamer could ever wish for is that like, I don't have to box myself into a game. I don't have to get tired of a game. I don't have to like put all my time and energy to like rank in one thing i can just like hang out and play what i want to play just like i normally would but i just have like a bunch of friends there to do it with me and that's so cool i think that's the fun thing about streaming is you'll get good recommendations to play Mm -hmm. different games that you've never tried before or didn't give like a, a solid chance to and um that's just the great thing about being a variety streamer yeah, yeah, I get amazing recommendations or like people have watched like my playstyle evolve or like even with FPS, like just my skills like Apex. I had never played Apex until like this last season and I fucking love that game. And I would have never hopped on that if I didn't have friends or like fellow streamers that are like, you need to try Apex, like please download Apex. And I'm like, okay, like probably gonna hate it. And I love it. I think it's great. And I would have never done that in a million years. Apex has like this fast-paced like grit to it where it's just like you're in the freaking zone there's something about it that's just different than uh war zone or these other battle royales yeah yeah i feel it i i think that's why i love it so much is that i am a cod kid or a battlefield kid like through and through and so i'm really used to that movement i'm really used to um you know one-on-one battles or like uh not getting third party every five seconds and then here comes apex with nutty fucking movement crazy slides and like 20 people all at once, which is totally my shit. I love, I'm like a a short to mid-range player. I love being in the shit like all the time. And um, Apex just like does that for me. It just like hit my brain in the right way where I'm just like, man, this is like super fun. And I don't know. I just love the action of it. I love how fast it is. And I think we we needed that. Everything was getting stale. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Did the Battle Royale craze hit you immediately where you just like, no absolutely not no i missed um uh, shit i missed like majority like PUBG. i missed h1z1 i missed fortnite i've never played fortnite ever in my whole life uh which i think is so crazy there's people that are like what how'd you like miss fortnite um just like never played it and i my first br was warzone uh i never played a br until warzone and some of my old squad uh taught warzone to me and i was like this is fucking crazy like what do you mean And it was, like, kind of blew my mind, because at the time I was playing, like, a lot of indie games and a lot of, like, random, like, I was really into, like, We Happy Few, which is still one of my favorite games. Um, 
and it's, you know, not a shooter. It's not, it's not anything like that. And then I, I get on and they're just like, we're going to run more zone. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And we were falling and I'm like, there's gas and there's a circle. And I'm like, what is this? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, and it, it was crazy. I had a blast and I love the concept of it. I still love Warzone. Uh, I don't love the state of it, but I still love it. And I think BRs in general are amazing. Um, and we really needed it. But now I think we need a complete transition of BRs because they're getting stale. Everybody's using the same concept. Everybody's using the same, you know, variation of like, it's gas. Just kidding. It's an ice storm. Just kidding. It's a dust storm. Just kidding. It's uh, whatever. Uh, we're all we're all doing the same shit. And whoever can spin that properly first, I think it's massive cred in my brain because it's really hard to get out of like gaming ruts in the industry uh innovation is like not like once there's a, a an engine or a, a game style you're not like innovating super hard out the gate and so i think we're now in that period where someone needs to like do that and do it well and whoever does that first is like it's gonna i don't know just break everything yeah it, it makes you wonder what's gonna be the next big craze because brs cannot be here forever i i don't think you know, especially Fortnite is just trying to stay relevant by bringing in Spider-Man and Kratos and all these like intellectual properties into their games. But at some point, I mean, there's got to be some sort of a different genre that's going to knock its knock it on its ass or something. Right. But. Yeah. And I've talked about that so much on stream where I'm just like. Also having the history as a gamer, like seeing all these games go through in different phases and different graphic styles and all this stuff is almost a burden sometimes because you see like pockets of development styles coming back or like pockets of trends coming back and you're just like, okay, like, yeah, we've done that. But the newer generation is like, holy shit, this is so new and amazing. And you're just like, no, like we've been doing that. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) But they don't have that. Like they don't have that backing. And so like, it's almost weird in a way where like we're getting really burnt out on the same things, but the new generation thinks it's like so new and innovative. And you're just like, I mean, destructive buildings aren't new, bro. Like Battlefield's been doing that for years. Like, what are you talking about? But like, they don't know. Um, So it's just very weird. You kind of have to like ground yourself a little bit as like an older gamer and just be like, yeah, like that's how it has to be for right now. And, And maybe you switch to some other styles and just wait. But yeah, it's a little bit of a burden in a weird way. Exactly. It's uh, it's really like tough to explain to a younger gamer like, hey, there was XYZ game from years ago that you've never played and it's so good, but you're just going to come off sounding like an old man or mm-hmm. woman. So it's like, whatever, just enjoy yeah. Fortnite, just enjoy whatever you got going on. And- <laughs> And that'll be yeah. that. I could never, like, I play Call of Duty with one of my nephews all the time, and I could never have him go back and be like, you need to play this COD. He would be like, no. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are you talking about? Be like, like no, I would pay <laughs> so much money to, like, have a true revival of Black Ops 2. Like, that game oh to me gosh. is so... I don't know. Just the, It's one of the most balanced CODs out there, and I still think it's, even though people list it in their top five all the time, I still think it's very underrated, and I would, like, pay such good money to have that, like, be, like, a first-time true real experience release for, like, my nephews to just genuinely, like, see, um, and just, like, have that. I don't know. Like, it, we all went through, like, such a cool oh, revival of that stuff, and I think it's getting lost a little bit and even we are like weirdly jaded about it and we miss it, but like, we don't know how to recreate it. Um, I don't know. I just wish we could do that. I miss the zombie mode in black yes. ops too. It was just yep. so much fun. I still think um, that's like one of the main zombies. I think a lot of zombies players like still are just like, why isn't it like that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Every time they release the zombies, everybody's pissed about it. Um, yeah. They set a high bar with that one. Yeah, and I'm not even a zombies player, so I don't know. Like, every time a COD comes out, people are like, but is zombies good? And I'm like, I have no clue. I have no <laughs> idea. I could not tell you. <laughs> uh, I don't play it, and I have no idea, so I asked my friends. But, um, yeah, I think, I don't know. Whoever can, like, spin BRs and give me that feeling where, like, I have, like, people are excited to squat up again and, like, get online after work and, like, truly grind something again. Like, that'll be huge, I think. For both the newer yeah. and older generation of gamers. Speaking of the grind, you know what comes to mind? Borderlands. 
<laughs> that game was such a fun, grindy type of game. Yeah. Did you play uh, Borderlands 3? Because I saw you <laughs> did say that Borderlands 2 was, was a favorite yes. of yours. Yes, I've played the entire Borderlands series and the Tales of Borderlands um, kind of like side piece in it as well. And Borderlands 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. I have, I have an, if that and Fallout 4, I have an unacceptable amount of hours in it is well over a thousand. I have no idea how many it is, but it is, it is a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the coolest games, I think, that like hit my brain in the right way. What are your thoughts on the uh, Borderlands movie that's going to come out? Oh, God, I have no idea. I'm very scared for it, to be honest with you. <laughs> I am, I, too. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I don't trust casting, and so I get very anxious that they're going to, like, ruin the series for me. <laughs> and I'm like, no! It's like, it's like you know, Blink-182 used to be one of my favorite bands, and then they come back, like, ten years later, and you're like, no, no, like, don't ruin that for me. Like, I love it the way that it is, but I'm scared of change. But, like, I hope they do it justice. I really do. I hope so too, because it's this is a very common topic in this podcast, but it's one that I feel like always has to come up, and that's games to movies is always a very tricky thing. Yeah, you never yeah. know. Most of the time, it's not good, but uh, I, I all I'll say is I'm just crossing my fingers that they're gonna do it justice. Yeah, I I, I kind of hope it went more. Or I wish I can't hope because they didn't, but I wish they went more of like the Witcher route, where it was more of like a a parts or a series because um, borderlands is like very complex there's like so many storylines and so many characters that like one movie i'm just sort of like how <laughs> are you going to get all of the aspects of all of this like in one thing and like how are you picking which characters to focus on and how are you picking like which war to go to like it's just very weird to me um and I, I, I don't know, I just worry that they take, like, a weird or wrong perspective. And, you know, like, people get really upset. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, too. Like, people get very upset when things aren't canon or they're not in the books or they're not in the original lore. And um, I don't have a problem necessarily with, like, altering some storylines. But, like, Borderlands itself and the way that Borderlands got the way that it is is so specific that, like, if it's fucked up in any way, I'm just going to be like, no, no, just no, I reject it. So, like, they run the risk of, like, alienating that really core, like, Borderlands community with just that one mistake. Or even just, like, a weird portrayal of, like, you know, Tiny Tina is one of my favorite characters. If they fuck up Tiny Tina, I'm going to be like, no. Mm, I'm out. Like, I <laughs> Walking cannot. out of the theater. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. There's no way. But I do wish they kind of went the Witcher route where it was, like, I don't know, just more thought out and more writing per episode or per part or whatever and took the time. But we'll see. A TV scared. series is the way to go because these video game lores and stories are so complex, you can't condense them into movies. It's things are going to get skipped over, glossed over, and and all you're going to do is just upset the fan base. It, right. It's like Hollywood tries to like make the uh, general population happy and the fan base happy, but what ends up happening is they just make both unhappy or, right. or confused. So. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't get, know what's the best way for them to do it. Uh, or just like basic things like part of the like thing that really hit like my ADHD brain in Borderlands is is guns. They have the craziest rarity index and the craziest like permutations of guns. Like there's like an absurd it's like 15 million possible combinations of things or something and it's the fact that at any given moment you could either hit like you could hit the rarest weapon in the game on like level two, or you could hit, you know, the dumbest weapon in the game on level 50 is crazy to me. And like, how do you portray that? How do you portray like this, like Marcus concept gun maker that's like out there making all of these different versions and like getting them dispersed and like all of the different like values of like a Jacob's gun over a Hyperion gun. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you show that in a movie? Like, I want to see that. I want to feel that, but like, you can't. I don't know. I'm so scared of that. Yeah, because it's like The Rock is going to like pick up a gun and he's going to be like, ooh, this is a Hyperion, and then just wink right. at the camera or something like that. Like, like okay. <laughs> okay, great. Great fan service. Or like Mad Moxie's entire legacy and how she was like, I don't know, like this cool vixen, but like she comes from an original clan in Borderlands that like you see later in the game or her relation to like Scooter. 
or any of that. Like, I don't know how they're going to portray that. And I'm like, I don't know. I just want to see. I'm so skeptical and I want to keep an open mind because I love the series so much, but it could all go downhill so fast. Yeah, it could. And we'll see how that goes. But (laughs) to switch gears a bit, what made you want to pursue UX design as a career? Yeah, um, it's kind of a weird switch. I I originally started my uh, my degree was originally in economics, <laughs> which is very different than design. Um, but part of what I was studying back then, I had like a grant to study with a certain professor who focused on microeconomics. And part of that was the paradox of choice. So it was how do consumers and how do people in general make quality decisions? Like, how do they do that? And part of it was... Um, you know, if you have three options laid out in front of you, um, the second you start adding more options, the quality of your decision making starts to decline because there's too many choices. And so when you wa- when you have things like you're walking down the grocery store aisle and there's 50 fucking cookies, like what? How do you even do that? Right? Like you're just guessing. But a huge part of how you do that is packaging. It's color theory and a lot of like design elements. It's typography and where it's placed on the shelf and if you like green more than yellow, like stuff like that. And packaging became such a huge part of that study that I was just like, shit, man, like I need to go into design. Like I need to go into packaging. And so I did, I went, I got my degree in branding and packaging. Um, and I originally wanted to be like a packaging designer, like actually physically making majority, like I focused on alcohol bottles or like wine labels um, and then got out and realized that, Packaging is a really hard industry to get into. It's a very good old boys club. And there's a lot of like older designers to just like sit in their role for a really long time. And so I was like, shit, like I can't get anywhere. And I took this job at a startup that was building apps for sports teams. And that was one of my first jobs. And they specifically worked with the MLS, like very heavily, like soccer. And I was a soccer player. I love soccer. I thought it was a great merge of like what I might maybe wanted to do and um design and so I was like cool like that sounds dope um went into their marketing department and and a lot of their product designers or UX designers quit at the time and so I ended up doing that shit and just like kind of weirdly weaseling my way into the UI UX industry even though that's technically not what my degree is (laughs) Um, and it just sparked this love. I didn't even know it was a thing. And, um, yeah, after that, I just became addicted to like helping users understand and navigate human computer interaction and like doing that quicker and consuming video and how they do all of that stuff in a more intuitive way. I just became really addicted to the psychology of it all, I think. And the psychology aspect is what I find so fascinating, especially when it comes to the color theory, like the different colors of certain products and the effect that it has on the consumer, like how Netflix is red. So it mm-hmm. signifies power and like, it's just so cool that they take all of these things into consideration when they put out whatever sort of product. Yeah, I, I think that it, it also ties heavily into, into gaming interfaces, and I, I point this out in my streams a lot, but I think a lot of gamers don't understand how much research and backing and psychology goes into the shit that you're seeing on your screen, on your hood overlays, on your uh, lobby screens, why COD has so much shit on the screen, why your store <laughs> looks the way that it does. Um, all of that stuff is backed by a lot of different things, and when games come out with like microtransactions or a store concept or um skins uh it it changes the way in the psychology that you're like taking in that information so the interface changes heavily um and it changes your interaction right like the the way that your tabs are laid out at the top like which sections you're going into where the settings live what's the button mapping on your fucking remote and your controller like all of that is done by people like me like ux designers we do a lot of research and a lot of analysis on the way that people interact with things or the ideal way to interact with things to catch the majority of users in the best way possible. Um, And then some people miss the mark. Some companies really miss the mark or they don't have people like us. And so you end up with what I call engineer wear, which is very heavy, clunky, hard to use. You don't really understand where certain menus are or what's going on or like how to get in and out of things. And so it just like slows the user down. And I'm like, shit, man, if you want, high engagement or high usage of a game 
hire UX designers. That's literally our entire job is to get people in it faster and get them consuming content and playing things quicker and better. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Could you give an example of bad gaming UX design? There are a lot. I point at COD all the time because yeah. COD, COD is a is a fun little amalgamation of like before UX was a thing, they had this specific interface that they kind of became known for. And then now they have like a store and skins and a lobby, like pre-lobby that you have to walk in and like all these things going on. And um, that whole paradox of choice concept that I was talking about earlier, users in general, this is like the, the good UX rule. Users in general can only take in seven different things on a screen. So if you push something and we read typically, if you're an English speaker, you read left to right. If you put something in the top left corner of the screen, it is theoretically the most important thing that you could ever put on an interface. And oh, then it right. goes down diagonally and to the right from there, right? So you have play, which they did right. That's the, that's the most important thing. That's dope, yeah. It's a good start, um, yeah. <laughs> and then you put like, they put like 50 other things on the fucking screen. So they have just like shot themselves in the foot with engagement. They have just like Delito Cheetoed every fucking option they had of like real engagement in their store, in their news, in their uh, release uh, notes, all of that stuff because they've decided to fill the right side of your screen with fucking everything you could possibly imagine to the point where they're even covering up the people <laughs> in your lobby. It's hard to see who's in your party because you have like so much shit on your screen. Um, so COD does stand out to me and even the new Halo, Halo Infinite in a way... Um, their interface is great on the, like the pre-lobby menu, but when you go to customize your skin, it is a very clunky, hard thing to like understand where to go for what and to change what out. Um, and so I kind of have been pointing to that recently as like a very weird, a weird interaction. And I think they're aware of that. I think they're starting to see that because they're kind of fixing it slowly. Yeah, COD's interface is just so jarring. It, it, they just really need to just cut that thing in half and just keep it as simple as possible but yeah and there's a concept in my industry called ui blindness and what that means is like if you put too much shit on the screen in a certain way even um you're gonna get users who just like straight up don't notice it anymore and that that comes into play heavily with those new indicators of like there's new stuff in the store those little red dots that show up everywhere or those little like that just straight up says new on it um, and they try to put it in red or gold or something to like stand out. They have massive yeah. UI blindness issues on their entire interface. Like people just don't care. And unless you're one of those people that gets really triggered by those red dots being there and has to go clear, like clear all the indicators, they, they have no one going in there for that. Like that's not a, that's not a way to bring people in anymore. They've completely obliterated like all access to that stuff. And that sucks for them. I mean, you know, they're not hurting for money, but it's it's crazy to watch other design teams like that, and you're just like, why would you do that? Um, but then when you think about, like, I find it funny online, a lot of people on Twitter or other gamers like to yell at developers or, like, devs, fix the game, fix the game, fix these bugs. Like, why are you not fixing it? Devs don't pick what they work on. <laughs> like, I've said this so many times, like, 99% of the time we're running a, a Scrum or Agile structure, and what that means is product is picking what you're working on. So, like, the people and business development the people making up those fucking microtransactions are the people deciding what gets fixed and what gets pushed first it's not devs you don't right. need to give them death threats nobody's like <laughs> hindering your game experience on purpose it's just money like that's it <laughs> that's the whole thing it's like do people forget that there's so many different teams when it comes to making a game it it, it reminds me of when i was a kid and like I want to be a game designer and, right. uh, and and I was just so ignorant to the fact that like uh listen buddy you're gonna need to know how to program or animate or do concept art there's so right. many different departments here so to just yell at a game designer it's like what are you doing it right makes sense yeah yeah I've seen people like straight up get so mad at like yeah, game designers, level designers, uh, developers, they're like, fix this bug, why are you not fixing it? Oh my god, I've tweeted at you about it like 80 times, and they're like, what do you want me to do? Like, I just, <laughs> like, I can't just like push code to the entire network and call it good. Like, that's not how that works. <laughs> right. Um, and even with the new, like, the, right, there's a huge acquisition happening. Microsoft is grabbing Activision right now. And I think the perception is, is that Microsoft now develops COD. 
Uh, no, that's not how that works. They're just acquiring a company, Activision or Treyarch or Raven is still doing Sledgehammer. They're still doing that development work. The money just goes to Microsoft. <laughs> that's all that's happening. Um, and people were like freaking out. They're like, Microsoft doesn't know BRs. Microsoft is going to mess up Warzone. They don't know this stuff. And they're like, it's, it's okay. Like they're not gonna, they don't know. And they know they don't know. That's why they acquired the people that know. <laughs> Microsoft is just in charge of the microtransactions. Right. They're, they're in charge of the money. That, exactly. That's all they care about. And it gives you know. more backing to the games that you love. It gives you more money to work with. And maybe they'll slow down a little bit so that we can catch more of those bugs. And that's a good thing. Usually. Right. Usually. Yeah. Usually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so you got the opportunity with HyperX by applying with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. I... Um... I applied, they have a partnership like uh, application process. I applied um, December of 2020 um, randomly because I was like, you know what? I've used this brand. Like you can see all my original headsets back here. I, I have like five headsets back there in the original like box. <laughs> um, I've used HyperX my entire gaming career. They're like the one peripheral I've had my pretty much my entire gaming career. They're the first like nice headset I bought myself when I got like my first paycheck um, I was like obsessed with the quality of their headsets and their partnership application asks a lot about like, you know, like, why do you want to be partnered? And I'm like, honestly, like you guys are the only brand that I would really want to be partnered with. You're the only brand I've ever used and I trust and truly love. Um, and I think they make an impact and I, I love it so much. And by January, I think 6th or 7th or something, 2021, they messaged back and they were like, yeah, you're accepted. And I was like, holy shit, I cried. I was at dinner with my parents and they're like, why the fuck are you crying? And I was like, <laughs> I just got this gaming partnership. And I was like, they were like, cool, we don't know what that means. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, this is like HyperX. And they're like, we don't know what that is either. And I was like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> oh God, it was crazy. <laughs> was that the same with Rogue Energy? Did you apply for them as well? Um, Technically, yeah, but they have an open affiliate ship program so i originally um just signed up for affiliate ship i had like a 10 percent off code and i was like drinking rogue all the time i always do and um i just genuinely like loved the the product it's a it's a good slow burn energy drink and i think that uh, you know me having adhd and like a lot of other like i, I I can't have like normal energy drinks. I can't drink like Red Bull or like Monster. Like it will absolutely destroy me. So Rogue being a very like slow curve, like energy drink, uh, it really struck me right. And I just liked the product a lot. And I started making content with it. And I had already been an affiliate and I just made a lot of content and like was like drinking Rogue on my streams and talking about it and getting sales with my code. And eventually they had Topher, their community manager was like in my streams and um, they put me in one of their um, creator spotlights in one of their emails, and a couple weeks later, they were like, you're partnered. And I was like, holy shit, okay, <laughs> that was dope. And I, I had no real intention of that. It was just like something that really organically happened, and I really appreciate those guys because they're very cool, and they actually believe in their partners. They actually like really, really invest in them and really like spend time with them and talk to them and take feedback, and it's just a really cool partner to have. That's great. And especially if you have a solid community with your followers that are super supportive of you too and are excited for you for these moments of partnerships. And th yeah. those are all really exciting parts about uh, streaming is these milestone moments. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said that like if I did get partners or if I did get affiliate ships or even just like casual one-off brand deals, I never wanted to do it with a brand that like I didn't trust or know or love. And that goes for like chairs or even PC parts or anything really cameras. I, I would never, you know, just sh get a partnership for the sake of getting a partnership. I don't believe in that. And it, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy. And I like to see investment and back and forth on both sides. You know, like I feel very loved and supported by both HyperX and Rogue Energy. And if I had a partnership opportunity with a brand that I didn't know, I would just kind of be like, why would I, why would I risk losing people in my community over a brand I don't use? I feel, I find that so weird. Right. Yeah. yeah. If like Raid Shadow Legends reaches out to you, you know, it's like, 
I don't know. Cool. That's one of those ones that like yeah. everybody has has uh, given their soul to pretty much. So yeah, yeah. I think I even games I haven't played. Like I, I would try new games. I think that's cool. But like I'm not pushing shit on my community just for the sake of doing so. I think that's kind of manipulative in a weird way. And you know, I'm not at the end of the day. I'm not doing this for money. Um, so it's really truly just like brands I use and love every day and. If I'm going to wear a HyperX headset because I love them and have a HyperX keyboard and mouse, like, cool. Like, yeah, I, I love them. I use them. You can see it every day. And, and people organically ask about it. Eventually, they're just going to be like, what's your headset? Or like, you know, what keyboard do you use? And you get a chance to talk about it. And I don't shove it on people. And I, I like that. I don't, I don't like being sold any more than anyone else. I don't remember the last time I clicked on a fucking ad. Like, I'm not trying to do that. Nobody's here for that. They're here to watch games and hang out with the community. <laughs> Exactly. I have a couple of quotes here from you, okay. actually, <laughs> okay. that oh, I no. <laughs> would love for you to uh, expand on. Don't worry, it's nothing bad. So, okay. Uh, the first one is do no harm, but take no shit. What does that mean to you? Yeah, that one is very important to me. Um, in gaming in general, I think that's my mantra around toxicity uh out the gate my goal is to never do anyone harm i'm never here to upset anybody i'm never here to make anybody feel less than or inferior or gatekeep them in gaming um however if you come at me in a certain energy i will come back at you with the same energy <laughs> and that goes for racism sexism homophobia like any of that shit i will always fight against that and i will always take a stand for the people that choose not to talk because I know how hard that is. It's not fun to try to play your favorite game with everybody being toxic pieces of shit. So if I have to be the one to speak up, I will. And it also goes for trolls in my channel. I am kind of known for, unfortunately, eating trolls alive, if you will. Um, and only two things happen. I either convert them, and I have converted a few trolls where they're just like, shit, okay, like, never mind, my bad. And they stay in the community. Wow. Or I absolutely eat them alive and I will post them on every social and call them out in every way I possibly can until they fix their shit or they just leave, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a dual purpose thing. And it, it also goes for mental health is that out the gate, do no harm. Don't don't try to like hurt people. But if you have to defend yourself or you have to advocate for yourself or you have to um, be in a place where you need to fight fire with fire, then do it. Fine. That's okay yeah. in my book. <laughs> and if you can flip a toxic game or two to be nice, that's a win too right there. Yeah, so I've done it. Win -win. It's happened. <laughs> um, I would say the other quote now is, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah, so that quote has been with me since college. Um, it's something that they tell you in design school quite heavily because if you start comparing yourself as an artist to other artists, you're obviously going to feel like shit because you're comparing yourself to people who don't have your style, don't have your way of learning, your way of uh, engaging, your way of communication, anything. Um, it's just a pointless endeavor, really. Um, and it, it, same goes for streaming and the same goes for content creation. Uh, I think everybody in content creation will tell you that they struggle with comparison at some point. It's, it's part of the game. You have numbers involved, you have likes and all the shit that you have to worry about. Um, and I think that as long as I keep that in mind, it always allows me to kind of do whatever I want, which is the whole point and reason, um, that I did this. And it's the whole point and reason that people follow me is for me. And if I start making content like someone else or reflection of somebody else or, because I wanted to like do what they're doing, it's not gonna work. It's just not me. It's not, it's not a thing, it's not authentic. Um, and so you get stuck in that cycle, I think sometimes when people start seeing their numbers decline or start seeing their content, like not getting engaged with, I oftentimes just say like, are you being authentic to you? Are you comparing yourself? Or are you making somebody else's content? Um, right. And that's, that's a huge thing. Copycatting, obviously, is a huge thing in our industry. And I think a lot of people don't realize that if you start making somebody else's videos, you can't back that. Like, you're not them. So at the end of the day, if you make a cool video and it mimics, you know, Nick Merckx, and then they come into your stream and you're not like Nick Merckx, you know, that's not authentic. They're going to be like, what the fuck is this? Like, this isn't what I thought you were. Um, and the same goes for any creator. And so comparison is the thief of joy, meaning you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot if you try to be anything other than yourself. And 
I struggle with it. Every creator struggles with it. And you just got to remember that you're here to be you. And if you try to be somebody else, nobody will latch onto that. <laughs> Do you think there's any correlation between you being authentic with your community labeling you as like a comfort streamer? Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy to me. I like, um, authentically, like I understand that I like give people a place to talk about mental health, a place to, uh, feel included, a place to hang out. Um, but when people say that I'm their comfort streamer, I get very uncomfortable because I'm just like, wait, what? Like, I don't find myself as like a nurturing, comforting person. I'm kind of like fiery and in your face a lot. And I, I've always been told that. And so when people are like, you're very comforting to me, I'm like, huh? Like, okay. <laughs> like I, that's dope. Thank you so much. Oh my God. Like, that's like the biggest compliment. I'm just like, holy shit. Like you like me so much that you would have me around when you want to like relax and just like be yourself and unmask and unwind. And I'm like, oh, you want me included in that? Like, that's crazy. That's, that's crazy to me. And that's, uh, if you, if you genuinely love a creator and you want them to know that, like, that is one of the biggest compliments you could ever give a creator. It's like, you're my comfort streamer. You're who I go to when I'm having a hard day. You're who I go to when I want to unwind and just like hang out in a community. Like that's such a huge deal. Absolutely. That's what makes streaming so rewarding right there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I like, People who have ever DM'd me or even said anything in my Discord nice to me, I have like a nice comment folder and I screenshot it and I like put it in there and I go back and look at it all the time. <laughs> That's great. It's like a good noodle board like from yeah. SpongeBob. It's like, like you have I, all these <laughs> good <yeah>. people there. <laughs> I just need to remember like sometimes like why I'm doing this or what what was making an impact on people sometimes and it, it brings me back a lot on hard days. So I'm glad I do that. <laughs> You hear that, Toxic Gamers? Be nice. Otherwise, <laughs> Hannah's going to come after you, all right? So exactly. You could be in her good folder, so just be a good person. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to leave a good comment. And if you're leaving a negative comment, all you're doing is either making me money or boosting me in the algorithm, and I'm going to eat you alive. So it really doesn't do anything. Yeah, they're only helping you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Hannah, this has been amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show yeah. today. And uh, if you have anything to promote, please, by all means. <laughs> I mean, I, follow me on socials, I guess. If you want to hit up the stream, go for it. It's hfox77 on everything, two X's. Um, yeah, I, I was, it's super nice to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And this is super fun. And I hope I made an impact on anybody listening and, and maybe you guys will turn your mics on and fucking tell somebody to fuck off in the lobby. <laughs> Perfect. Well, <laughs> everybody, thank you so much for listening. And uh, Hannah, I'd love to have you back on sometime. This was so Absolutely. Much fun. Yeah, thank you so much. All righty. Bye, everyone. <laughs>